if you were a Jew living in the B.C. time period or before Christ was born, you were waiting on something. You were waiting on the Messiah, the one that was going to come and redeem you as a nation. Um, And as you were waiting, something started to happen. This view of who the Messiah was started to shift and get distorted and get skewed. In fact, um, as much as the prophets were communicating about who this Messiah would be and what he would look like and what his message would be like soon many of the Jews started believing that the Messiah was going to look like something else they started creating a Messiah in their mind and started believing that that was going to be the Messiah that he was going to be a militant leader that was going to come back and and redeem them in some militant style wiping out the Romans that he was going to look like this that he was going to be about this particular group of people that he was going to redeem just them as Jews and then when Jesus shows up and in our scriptures starts teaching and in your Bibles, many of you have red letters. It's no wonder why so many of them struggled because they started hearing some of the hard, difficult teachings of Jesus, but they had created a different Messiah in their mind, which caused them to be blinded to the fact that the Messiah was standing and teaching right before them. They're like, you're not Jesus. Like we were believing all this time that Jesus was going to look like this when they had the Messiah sitting right in front of their face. I'm glad that we as an American culture don't struggle with that at all. Right? Like, like America has created this, this Jesus. And I fear, friends, that we begin to fall into the trap of believing that that's what Jesus is. And so then, like the Jews, we... We like struggle at hard teachings. We're like, that's not Jesus. Jesus wouldn't do that. He wouldn't say that. Um, I moved, uh, our family moved one time from Waverly, Iowa. Have you guys even ever heard of Iowa? It's a state in the union, promise. A lot of corn, a lot of cows, a lot of nothingness, except the Field of Dreams is there. That's a really big highlight. Jason O'Dell, have you ever been there to the Field of Dreams? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal place, my brother. But when we moved, um, we visited this great town in central Illinois uh, called Vandalia. And I met this, I met, I met this guy, uh, his name was Chad Haas, he was going to be our next door neighbor, and one day, we played basketball together, it was the only day we were in town, and we, we went back to Iowa to kind of pack things up, and when I came back, I started hearing rumors that people, like somehow th- these rumors, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the word rumor before, or like know how they spread sometimes, but um, of course not, you're Christians, I forgot, yeah, you're sitting in church, you holy people, wonderful, but, they, but these rumors started to spread that I was like six foot four, and this is in seventh grade, right? And could dunk, right? And like had like literal, I had like a 40 inch vertical. You know what I mean? All of these rumors starting, started to spread. And so when I showed up at school, they're like, you're not Mark. You know, I'm like, um, yeah, actually I am. Like, in fact, I know very full well that I'm Mark because I'm him. You know, no, 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 you're not Mark. Mark is six, four and can dunk. And like, you know, it's this gorgeous. And I was like, you know, five, ten, a buck, twenty five. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, I, I'm sorry I'm disappointing your expectation. Do you see the problem? It's like Jesus is right there. And they're like literally saying to him, you're not Jesus. And he's like, are, are you kidding me? The Messiah is standing right before you. If, if you're here tonight for the first time, I want to welcome you. And I want to say um, it's great to have you. And I want to tell you that as a church, we're on a journey. Listen to this. We're on a journey to see Jesus through the lens of the scriptures and not through an American culture. We're on a journey to look at the hard truths and the hard teachings and say that is our king. In fact, we don't have a plan B. He's it. 
Like we're resting and sitting and putting everything in him. And if he doesn't do it, then we cannot for sure. And so, and so if you're here tonight, I want to welcome you to a journey to see Jesus through, I'm sorry, the lens of scripture and not an American culture. All right. Are you guys ready to do that tonight? So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Last week, we ended on a very, very difficult teaching from Jesus. Um, the last few weeks have all been urgent. They've all been, you guys have to open your eyes now or judgment will come. Tonight's teaching gets no easier. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. You read the subtitle there and you just get pumped up, you know? Repent or perish. You know what I mean? You guys are like coming in, you're all excited, right? Worship kind of got you excited. Repent or perish. This is going to be great. Verse 1. Now, which connects last week with this week, and, and not last week with this week, but the text that we taught last week and this week. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now Pilate is Pontius Pilate, who's, uh, who is most famous for his role in the crucifixion. One of my favorite lines that Jesus says in the Gospels is when he looks Pontius Pilate in the eye. And, and you guys can remember this if you've seen the Passion. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world, right? I love that line. But Pontius, uh, newsflash, Pontius and the Jews, they don't get along, right? In fact, like the Jews hate Pontius. Pontius hates the Jews. And this passage gives a great, like, huge billboard version of why they hate him, okay? Uh, there's some Galileans which live around the Sea of Galilee, Captain Obvious, and they've gone down to the temple in Jerusalem to give a sacrifice of atonement. This was the Old Testament principle and, and method. And so they've gone to give this, this sacrifice. And for whatever reason, this is the only gospel that records this. And Josephus, who is a phenomenal historian, doesn't record the story either. So this is the only place we see, we see the story. Uh, but Pilate apparently murders some Galileans who have gone to the temple to sacrifice. Even worse, the blood of the sacrifice mixes with the human blood. Again, we don't know why he murdered them, but all we know is that the sacrificial blood uh, that, that was uh, for atonement was mixed with human blood. Let me, like, this is not a good thing, okay? If you're a Jew and you hear about a murder in the temple, and you hear about how the unclean blood has mixed with the blood of the sacrifices, friends. Can you start to understand? It'd be like, listen, it'd be like if we were having communion here tonight. And we had prepared the elements and blessed the elements. And someone walked in and just defiled in whatever way these elements. And then expected us to still take them or something. I mean, that's how serious it was probably times a few. And so Pontius and the Jews do not get along Jesus, as he often does, flips this entire story. Because these people are like, so what are you going to do about it? Like, you're Jesus. Like, why don't you go get Pilate? You know, like, we'll WWE tackle him. You know what I mean? You can come in, get a couple knocks in there, and then we'll all be on our way. But that's not what Jesus does. He flips the story and turns a question or a statement back into a question in verse 2. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. Don't you love this about Jesus, right? Like people are constantly, listen, people are constantly trying to draw him into some reaction or to some like conclusion. And he never falls into the trap. And he always like turns it right back into a teaching moment that they need to hear. And this is a very important teaching. He's like, so were they worse sinners because they were murdered in this temple? Like what, do you believe that? That this was some type of move of judgment on God's part? 
to murder these Galileans because of some sin that was in their life. Verse 3 says this. I tell you no, exclamation point, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus answers his own rhetorical question, right? How many guys like rhetorical questions? And I love this about Jesus because he's always doing this because he knows like they don't know the answer, you know? You don't know, you don't know the answer. Let me go ahead and answer it for you, you know? Uh, were they were, were sinners? No, I tell you, you know? But unless you repent, you too will perish. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about this word repent. The Hebrew word, which first shows up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 in a prayer of Solomon is shub. Everyone say shub. Yes, write that down, put it on your forehead, talk to your neighbor about it. All right, shub is the Hebrew word. From there, we see all these mentions of the word repent all the way into the Greek word mataeo, which ends in Revelation chapter 16. So between that, we see, uh, we see in Matthew, John the Baptist, and one of his very first words is repent for the kingdom of God is what? Is near. Then Jesus, just a chapter later, Matthew chapter 4, says the exact same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. So apparently... This word pent, or this word repent has some type of significance. Now, if you remember, a couple months ago, we had these images of these windows with these two kingdoms up here at the front of the stage. This kingdom represented the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of Satan, our flesh, and this represented the kingdom of God. Now, to repent means to literally turn from this world and this kingdom and turn to something. The word repent means to change one's mind. So Jesus says, where they were sinners, no. And unless you repent, then you too will perish. This is why the gray area Christian or the perceived gray area Christian is not a Christian. Because they're sitting in the middle of these two kingdoms and saying, I can still partake in the flesh and I can still somehow creatively share in the inheritance of God. You see this? This is why the gray area, friends, is ripping this nations apart in, the, in our view of the gospel Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, there's a lot more that we're going to unpack there, but let's keep moving. We'll come back. Verse 4. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? There's this tower of Siloam, which is probably on the outer wall of Jerusalem. Big, massive tower by this big pool of Siloam. And it falls on 18 people. Tragic death, right? Jesus says... Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem that the tower didn't fall on? Jesus again answers his own question. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. It seems interesting, doesn't it? That Jesus begins this whole conversation with these people coming to him and saying, Hey, 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 Pilate, mix the blood of, of sacrifices with you. Like, what are you going to do, Jesus? And then all of a sudden we go into this teaching that seems a little bit odd. He names two tragedies and he says, are they more guilty or are they worse sinners than all of the rest because of their death? This is a teaching on the doctrine of death, which seems really weird. But listen, the doctrine of death in our world is one of the most universally misperceived and misunderstood. How many religions, listen to this, do you know of that base their whole religion on when a person dies in a certain way that says something about their life? In other words, if they die a tragic death, then it's some type of symbol of God's judgment. 
if they die of old age or if they go without pain, then it's some type of symbol of God's uh, God's grace. Religion after religion all over the world believe in this doctrine of death that what you do on this earth determines how God will either judge you or the gods or have grace on you in your death. On the back of your bulletin, there's uh, the doctrine of death you'll see. And there's uh, one, two, three on the back. If you guys are taking notes, I see three possibilities of how you can perceive the doctrine of death in our world. First of all, you believe that death is completely disconnected from the supernatural. You believe that it's all circumstantial, whether it's tragedy, whether it's sickness, whether it's old age, which are the three major reasons why people die, right? Right? That, that you believe that, it, that, that it's all circumstantial, disconnected from supernatural. No God, no gods that play a part of. You die and you just die. That's it. The second belief is that you believe that your death is either a version of God's judgment or a reaping of God's grace, like I've already alluded to. If you live the horrible, negative, sinful life, then the way that you die is judgment. For instance, in these stories, you would believe that these people were murdered because of something that you had done in your life. Or you believe that because a tower fell on you that, that, that you were judged by God. The third version is you believe that we die as a result of sin. There's only three options. But this doctrine of death in our culture, friends, is completely misunderstood and misperceived. And so it's causing people, listen to this, to say all kinds of things when people die, right? I want to talk about something with you guys tonight. Um, in my hometown last week, Vandalia, Illinois, there was a, um, uh, I think it was 2021, uh, he committed suicide. Good friends with um, some of the individuals who are here tonight. And it's interesting to me to read some of the MySpace and Facebook posts that people write when trying to deal with death. And you guys know what I'm talking about. People say all kinds of things. He's in a better place now, right? He, his spirit lives on around us. Uh, he hasn't left us forever, just temporarily. Like you guys know what I'm talking about. Like we, we've come up, listen, we've come up with all of these phrases to say when people die, and it's a reflection of our own doctrine of death. The things that you say when people die are a complete reflection of what you really believe death is. And so we frame all these phrases because ultimately we, we want to make ourselves feel better. How many of you have been at a funeral when the person shared, oh, he's in a better place now, and you knew very well that that person did not know Jesus? But it was like the thing that the pastor knew to say because it would somehow make everyone feel better. My heart wrenches for those times, you know? Or, or times when, when this person really has been a hateful, non-loving, non-God-fearing person. And like people just feel like they have to say something. And so they come up and give a eulogy and they just make up a bunch of lies. We've been a funeral like that. Friends, we live in a culture that has a misperceived view of the doctrine of death. So what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We look and see what scripture says. Amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter three. Would you please? Genesis chapter three in your scriptures. It's the first book of the Bible for those of you who are inquisitive. And also Bryce King's good friend. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. You guys all there? Say I'm there. So sin has come into the world. 
God is now cursing Adam and Eve. And he says to Adam in verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For Listen, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Romans chapter 5 says this. Put this up for us, Andrew. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, which we just read about, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Let me paint it for you this way. Adam sins, bringing sin into the entire world. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because Adam's curse was death, then by A plus B equals C, I'm not a math major, it means that it all equals death for us. Two, Romans 6.23 says what? For the wages of sin is, is death. So we die as a result of sin. Let me say this. Death is imminent. It will come for every single one of us. And when we die, it's not a greater reflection Of the judgment of God. It's not a reflection of the grace of God. It's a reflection of the way that God has cursed men because of sin. That our physical body made of dust. Adam was made from the dust of the earth and Eve from his rib. That we would return then to the dust. So at this point in the message you're like, boy, this is going to be a great night. Like, what encouragement. We die, right? Put up uh, Timothy for me. Look at this scripture. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us. By the way, this is Paul writing to his young mentor, Timothy, who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time in verse 10. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the what? Through the gospel. So death is imminent, but Christ Jesus has what? Destroyed death. So if you're like me, you're like, okay, so I know all these things about Jesus and I have this misperceived view of death, can all of a sudden together, we just all go through this heart and mental change. Death is a result of sin. And there's only one individual, one God, who has ever destroyed death, and it's Christ Jesus. He destroyed death. Destroyed it. How? By raising from the dead and showing that He could, as Scripture says what? Conquer the grave. Any God that can conquer the grave is a God I want to serve. Why? Because death is imminent. Showing the difference between us and God. Amen? We will return to dust. God conquers the grave. But if you're a biblical scholar, or at least just um, observ- uh, observative, is that a word? I'm not sure. 
your observe. Uh, dang it, I can't even say it. Observant. Yeah, observant. Thank you. I knew it ended in an A-N-T or something. If you're observant, you would notice that the scripture does not say death anywhere in this. You're like, yeah, that's a great theory. Doctrine of death. That sounds really catchy. But doctor, like doctrine and death aren't in this passage. But what word is in the passage? It's a word that starts with a P. Perishing. Unless you repent, unless you turn from the world and from your flesh and from the kingdom of the air, unless you repent and turn completely, you too will what? You too will perish. I love the guy at football games who held up John 3.16. Right? Love that guy. He just died not too long ago. But, but his whole deal was getting this message about John 3.16. And I know it's a great verse, right? But we often misquote it. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Hold on a second. Uh, we just learned that death is imminent. But Scripture says that he conquered death. And then John 3.16 that says that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we die. Our physical body returns to the dust. But the question is, what happens to your soul? Does it spend an eternity separated from God, perished? Or does it spend an eternity with God, glorifying Him, making Him your complete focus? My friends, in a world that has death completely misperceived, I want to share something with you. That the only way that you and I cannot perish is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what a message that is. What if, listen to this. What if in those times when someone dies and you don't know what to say, which by the way, when you don't know what to say in those situations, it's better not to say anything. But as God leads, what if we started saying instead of the, the cliché, This person has just died as a result of sin. And their soul will either be, will either perish or spend an eternity with God based upon that individual's belief in the fruit that was shown because of it. Why are we still like saying things that make each other feel good? Can't we for once just be honest? Because you know what I'm talking about. We live in a culture that just struggles being honest. We don't want to be real because real would be scary. What if finally you and I were able to communicate the truths about death? We die because of sin. Sin came into the world through Adam and now we all die. That same physical dust to dust death. But through Christ, we can live, my friends. First John, listen to this, chapter 5, verse 12. Actually, why don't you guys just flip there, flip there, flip there. First John, chapter 5, verse 12. says this. You guys there? First John chapter 5 verse 12. He who has the Son has what? Has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He who has the Son has life. Right? So Christians in this room, you have the Son of God. You know Him. You believe in Him. Where's the life, I ask? Where's the life? Where's the breathing passion, believing full well that He destroyed death and that you have an ability to not perish? Where's the life? 
Why are we so dull drum? Why are we struggling with zeal, friends? He who has the Son has life. He conquered the grave. We get to experience that. So Christians in this room, guess what? It's time to wake up. It's time to start revealing to the world where life comes from. Instead of the world keep looking at us and they're like, yeah, yeah, you guys are no different than us. You guys are no different than us. What if the message was life comes through Christ? Anything else will lead to eventual death and that's it. I wonder if people will start really believing in a movement of Jesus that has movement and life and fervor to it, my friends. He who has the Son has life. So do you have life tonight? Do you believe it? Does your heart beat fast when we just open the Scriptures? Oftentimes when Jesus teaches a hard teaching, He helps illustrate it with a great story. So let's continue on. Verse 8. Then He told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Anyone, um, anyone in here have any vineyards in your house? Just so we can relate. Or around your house, any vineyards here? Okay, so we're vineyardless, vineyardless people, right? So we, we're, I'm going to need to paint the picture here. A vineyard is a place in the ground or a field, mind you, right? Where there's trees and stuff. It's a place where where there's more fertility in the soil, where the soil can breed a greater amount of fruit. Now, interestingly, in Isaiah chapter 5, a vineyard is, is used to talk about Israel. And in Micah chapter 7, a fruitless fig tree is used to talk about Israel. So it's very possible here that as Jesus is going into this, he's giving us a picture of Israel, but the application for you and I is the same. So there's this man who has a fig tree in a vineyard, and it hasn't produced any fruit. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So I keep going to this fig tree and I keep looking at it for three years, which by the way, three years, I'm not a fig tree farmer, right? But scripturally even three years is a good amount of time for fig trees to produce fruit. So this individual just keeps going back to this fig tree. No fruit, no fruit, no fruit. What does he say? Cut it down. You guys remember a message of John the Baptist, which, 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 which many people say are, is just a hardcore dude. He said what the axe is already what? At the root of the tree. Are you starting to get the image here? There's no fruit. So cut it down. What's its worth? But then all of a sudden we see an intercessor. Verse 8, Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Give me one more year to dig around. And when you dig around soil of a tree, you're loosening the soil so the water can soak and the roots can grow. Give me one more year to do that and to fertilize it. And if you come back a year from now, then, 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 then we'll cut it down. One last opportunity, one last chance, one last hope to bear fruit. Do you see Christ in this image? You see, our culture has spent a whole lot of time trying to define why people die. Keith Ledger dies a couple days ago. And you, it's, it's amazing to hear the news reports and the people trying to frame his death. 
Our culture has tried to deal with death. But friends, what Jesus is saying is we need to stop worrying about why people die, because I make it clear in Scripture, it's because of sin. And we need to start worrying about why you're alive. About why you've been kept alive. This person has died of cancer. You shouldn't be asking, why did that person die of cancer? You should be asking, why don't I have cancer? The question flips. Why? Not out of approval. Because you have been given mercy to even breathe another day. To even have another chance to have the roots dug around and to be fertilized with the word of God. You have a chance tonight to hear the word and to repent. That's the image. We need to stop worrying so much about why people die and start asking ourselves, are we really alive? Do we understand the purpose of why God has extended mercy to allow breath to come out of my nostrils one more second? Death is a result of sin. Life is a result of what? The Son of God. The Son of God. So friends, what are you doing with your opportunity? Huh? Jesus is closing up this whole message of urgency with the phenomenal picture of one last opportunity. Don't you picture Jesus pleading on our behalf? Give me, give me one more day. Give me one more year to fertilize with the word, to dig around the roots. Friends, what are you doing with the opportunity? Some of you in here tonight, listen. Some of you in here tonight just simply need to repent of your flesh and come to Christ. You don't know Jesus, okay? Let's be honest. You're either living in this gray area which isn't a Christian or you just don't know Christ. The reality is tonight you have an opportunity to be fertilized by the word and to understand that he's your only hope to come out of death and to per- and, and to not perish. So tonight you need to turn to Jesus. Surrender all that you have to Him because it's only because of His mercy that you're even breathing now. A tower fell on 18 people, Jesus says. Are they more guilty? No, I tell you. No, they're not more guilty. But guess what? Like Maybe you should have been under there, but you weren't because I'm merciful. And so you have life to be able to live So Christians, we talk all the time about missional living, that the motive is love, that the action is obedience to God through the scriptures and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the result is God's will by God's power for God's glory. Is that what you're daily experiencing? Fruit just coming off your your limbs, if your limbs were your arms, right? Fruit just being bore all over the place because of your passion for the gospel and your understanding of life through the Son. Church, we need to stop asking why people are dying, realize that it's because of sin, and start asking each other why we're still alive. Why? Because you have a distinct purpose on this earth to glorify God in everything that you do. Are you willing to do that? Is that your heart's cry? Is that your passion? Tonight, you have one more opportunity at least. What are you going to do with it? Will you worship? Will you repent? Will you continue in your self-loathing sin? Or will you and I start saying, through the Son of Man, we have life. And those that don't have the Son of Man do not have life. Let's stand and pray together, friends.
Father God, I ask that you will help reshape our doctrine of death. That we'll stop believing what our culture is saying. That when 9-11 happens, that it's, that it's your wrath on God, but, but that we'll understand it as a part of your great sovereign plan to bring yourself glory. And that death and suffering are all a part of the fact that sin has entered the world. And that our physical dust must pay for that, Lord Jesus. But I thank you that you paid the ultimate price. That you paid the ultimate death to be able to redeem our lives from the pit of hell. And to be able to, to just to worship you for an eternity, Lord Jesus. I ask God that right now that you'll give every individual a clear picture of what they're to do with their last opportunity. If this was it, if tonight was all they had, God, I pray that you'll convict us about our finances. I pray that you'll convict us of our lusts. I pray that you'll convict us of our unhealthy marriage and communication. I pray that you'll convict us of our laziness in school. And I pray tonight that you'll show us that you've called us to give you glory in everything that we do while we're on this earth to bear fruit. And if not, the axe is at the root of the tree. God, show us tonight as Christians what it is to have life.